Let's take our Bibles this morning. Let's turn back to Luke 2. We're going to look at several different passages of Scripture this morning as we think today about the gift of peace. 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 Everybody wants peace, right? Some people are looking for world peace. We have musicians and politicians and all kinds of different people calling for world peace. Generations have looked for it, and yet it seems unattainable. You know, in the day and age we live it now, after World War II, when the United Nations was established, they, now there is supposedly never going to be war anymore. We just have armed co- conflict, right? And uh, so we have all kinds of things, and yet there still is no peace. Maybe this morning you're not so much worried about world peace. You just want peace at home, right? You just need some peace and quiet, get the neighbor's dog to stop barking or get your wife to stop yelling at you or whatever it is. You just need peace. Or maybe it's a little more personal than that. Maybe you just need peace in in your heart. Maybe there's just struggle that's going on this morning. You're discouraged. You're depressed. You're struggling. You say, I just need peace. I'm not so much worried about what's going on in my house or even in the world. I'm just looking for peace. Peace inside of me. You know, peace is something people have been looking for, and yet many don't seem to be able to find. You know, as you think about peace throughout history, you can read about different peace treaties that have been made. I read about one this week. One of the earliest recorded peace treaties that we have from history is between the Hittite and the Egyptian empires. This was over a thousand years before the birth of Christ, year 1274 B.C., the Battle of Kadesh. The battle took place in what is modern-day Syria. And uh, this was a battle fighting over this piece of land between these two warring nations. And after a lot of conflict back and forth over a period of time, they finally decided... It's more important for us to defend against our homeland, against other enemies attacking us, than fighting over a piece of land that we can't agree on. So they wrote up a peace treaty, and this peace treaty was written in two different languages, the Egyptian hieroglyphs and the Akkadian cuneiform script. So they each had a peace treaty written up in their own language. And in most cases, or in most of the script, and it's interesting, both of these still survive to this day, both the uh, Egyptian peace treaty that was written down on those tablets and the Akkadian treaty that was written down as well. And they match up in every area except for one. On the Egyptian peace treaty, as they wrote it up, they claimed that it was the Akkadians that were suing for peace. And on the Akkadian peace treaty, as they wrote it up, they claimed that it was the Egyptians that were suing for peace. So even in their peace treaty, there was no peace. And they couldn't agree on who really was the one asking for peace. I mean, they both wanted to maintain their stance as the tough guy, so to speak. And isn't that true? Even when people seem to come to peace at different situations, whether it's a conflict between nations or conflict between individuals, yet sometimes people hold on to their side and say, yeah, we're at peace, but I just want you to know. I really won, you know, and that's kind of the attitude that people have, and there's no peace. What's interesting, as Freddie read for us a few minutes ago, we read about the message of the angels that they gave to the shepherds there on the hillside that night. And The Bible says in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2, And there were in the same country shepherds 
abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. Now let me ask you a question this morning. These angels, when they proclaimed Jesus, that He would come, they said, on earth, peace. Did Jesus come to this earth to bring peace? Did He? Well, if He did, then He failed. Because there has been no peace. He failed in His mission if His mission was to bring peace. Now, how do we align that with what we believe about who God is? I mean, we've talked about this just a few weeks ago. God never fails. God always keeps His promises. God always accomplishes what He sets out to do. So then why is there no peace? Well, perhaps because the peace that He promised is not the peace that people expected Him to bring. And the peace that He brought didn't come about in the way that Jesus expect, or that people expected it to be brought about. I would tell you this morning, Jesus was not a failure. In fact, Jesus never fails. He always wins. He's God. And God never loses. So then how do we understand the message of the angels to the shepherds that night? Peace on earth. You look around, where's the peace? Where's the peace that He promised? Well, in order to better understand this, we need to look at some other passages of Scripture that better help us to understand why Jesus came and what He meant, or what the angels meant when they spoke of Him coming and said, Peace on earth. We're going to look at some passages of Scripture together this morning, and the first thing we want to see is this, that Jesus brings peace to those who believe on Him. You see, the peace that He promised was not necessarily a peace to all, it was to all who would believe. To all who would believe. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, turn with me in your Bible, if you will. We're going to have to look at some different passages of Scripture to understand this. But this is the wonderful thing about God's Word. The Scripture always interprets Scripture. So if you ever come to something that you don't understand in God's Word, Many, many times, really almost all of the time, you're going to be able to find another passage of Scripture in the Bible, another place that helps us to better understand what it's saying. Because just like you and I, when we tell a story or we give a statement, we don't always give all the context and all the information around that statement. And you might have to have some pre-existing knowledge to understand a particular statement that we were to make. And God uses His Word to explain itself. That's why it's so important that we read and we study all of God's Word. And while we know it's a long book and there's lots of information here, 
It takes time to do that. But if we're not studying all of Scripture, we can end up with some really funny beliefs about things. We can end up being very far from what God intended because we look at one phrase and we take it out of context or we don't look at it in light of what the rest of the Bible says. So when you read what the angel said in Luke chapter 2, peace on earth, that could lead you to believe that, well, wait a minute, Jesus came to bring peace on earth, then why do we still have wars? Then why do husbands and wives still fight? Why do children, why can't children get along? You know, Talking with one dad this morning, he said, the only thing my kids share willingly is their germs, right? And uh, sometimes that's the truth. So why is there no peace? What's wrong with this world? What did Jesus do? Did he fail? Well, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at several passages this morning. I want you to turn here because there's several verses here that help us to better understand this peace that Jesus brings. That Jesus brings peace to those who believe on Him. So before we read this passage, I want you to think about it. If you don't have Jesus, then you can't have peace. Somebody said it this way, no God, K-N-O-W, like to know God with your mind, no God, no peace, but also no God, N-O, there's also no peace. Without God, there is no peace. Understanding who God is and trusting in Him, having faith in what He's done for you and asking Him to forgive you of your sin, there is peace. So let's read this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son? So who's the Son? Well, that's Jesus Christ. In whom we have redemption. Through His blood. What's redemption? That's a big word and not everybody knows what it means. To redeem something means to buy it back. So if you had needed to raise some money and you went down to the pawn shop and you sold them a gold necklace and they gave you some money for it, they would give you a ticket, right? And then you have a period of time in which you can go back to the pawn shop and you can buy back that item that you pawned, right? That's an idea that we would use in our day and age of redeeming something back. Or somebody, some people think of it as the idea, well, I got this discount or this coupon and I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to get the value that was there. But biblically speaking, what the Bible talks about when it means, when it says redemption, is that we had been sold, if you will, or we were lost to the slave market of sin. We have all sinned. There is none righteous. No, not one. And Jesus, when He died on our behalf, when He died for us, His blood paid the sin debt, paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be bought back, so that we could be redeemed. And that's what Colossians 1 means when it says, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. See, when He redeemed us with His blood, He forgave us, from our sin. not that a wonderful thing? That God has forgiven us. And then he speaks in Colossians 1. He tells us more about who Jesus is. He says, Who is the image of the invisible God? The firstborn of every creature. 
So Jesus truly is God in human flesh. John 1.1 tells us the same thing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he says here in verse number 16 who Jesus is. Now he tells us what he does. Who he is? He's God. What has he done? Well, he is the, he says, by him were all things created. He's the creator that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things were made by Him. It says, All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Verse 17 means this, that He holds it all together. By Him all things consist. So He is the... Savior, He's the one that redeemed us. He's the creator. He's the one that made everything. And He is the sustainer. He's the one that holds it all together. And then it says in verse 18, And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. So He's our Savior He's our creator. He's our sustainer. And the Bible says He's also the head of the church. The pastor's not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. There's no human being on this earth that is the head of the church. Now, they may call themselves the head of the church. They may set themselves up and say, Look at me, I'm the head of the church. You have to listen to me. What I say goes. But that's contrary to what the Bible teaches. Let me tell you, anytime I am opposed to what the Bible teaches, I'm in the wrong. Because the Bible is always true. It's always right. It never fails. It's never wrong. It never lies. It's true from beginning to end, from the front to the back, every chapter, every word, every verse. It's all from God. And he says he's the head of the body, the church. So He's our sustainer, He's our creator, He's our redeemer, He's the head of the church. And then He says in verse 19 and 24, It pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. What is fullness? What's fullness? Have you ever thought about this? Like, what does it mean to live your life to the full? That that means something that's complete, something that is whole. Something that has value, fullness. He's not the emptiness. He's the fullness. In verse 20, And having made, here's our word, peace. And having made peace through the blood of His cross by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So here we get a little more understanding of what he's talking about when he says peace. Peace on earth. See, the peace came when Jesus died on the cross so that he could reconcile all things. Reconcile, that's another word we use, but probably not very much. If you still keep track of your finances, and hopefully a few of you do, hopefully all of you do, but, and you have a checkbook, what do you need to do? You've got to reconcile. You take the bank statement, you take your check ledger, and you look at it and you say, do these things match up? 
Or is somebody writing checks on my account that I didn't know about, right? Has somebody, nowadays it seems more often than not, someone has stolen your debit card number or some vendor that you, some store that you purchased something at has had a data breach, you know, and we've all lost our data and they're all stealing our identities and, and they're taking our money, right? So it's important that we reconcile. That's taking something that we know to be true and we match something else to it and we make sure they match, they reconcile. And so the Bible, when it speaks about reconciliation, is about taking the almighty righteousness, holiness, perfect standard of who God is, and it's bringing our life up to compare with it. And the reality is, in our own strength, in our own power, in our own ability, there is nothing that you or I could ever do to reconcile those two things. They'll never, ever line up. You can be a really good person. You can give all your money away. You can go feed the poor for the rest of your life. And all those things could be wonderful things. But that will not be enough to reconcile your life to the holiness of God. In other words, can I say it a different way? There's no peace except through Jesus Christ who gave peace on earth. Jesus brings peace with God. He's the one that makes it reconcile. Because here's the reality. We can bring whatever we want to God and it'll never be enough. The Bible says it very simply this way, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You've fallen short. It's like at the end of the month, if you're trying to reconcile and pay bills and figure it all out, you, you take all the money you've earned and all the money you could borrow and everything you could possibly get from any other person and you pay every bill and it's still not enough. Just not enough. So you need something else to come along and to make up the difference. Some of us may feel like, well, I bring a lot to God. I mean, look at me. I've got a lot going for me. I grew up in a good home. I have a good family. We're nice people. We dress right. We look right. We even smell good. Say, I'm bringing a lot to God. It doesn't matter what you think you bring to God. It's not enough. There's no peace. Jesus is the great reconciler. This is the peace that He brings. Jesus brought peace on earth, but he didn't bring it in the way everybody expected. He brought the possibility of peace to you and to me so that we could have peace with God. Without Jesus, there is no peace. Jesus brings peace to those who believe in him. He brings peace with God. The Bible says this in Romans 5 and verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or oh, I love what Jesus said in John 14 and verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. You see, none of us have enough to bring peace with God, but Jesus brought peace. Peace, so that we could be at peace with God. We're all guilty. The Bible says all of our goodness, our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's as if we would come to the cross and we stand before Jesus and our guilt 
screams from within us, you are finished. But then we look to the cross where Jesus cried out, no, it is finished. Jesus has finished the work so that we could be reconciled to him and have peace with God. What will you do with Jesus? Are you at peace with God this morning? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Do you have this peace that He promises and that He gives to those who will just receive it? It's a gift. The gift of God is eternal life. He brings peace with God. But then to those who have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, Jesus also brings peace during struggle. Jesus said this in John 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. That means you're going to have some hard times. This world is not an easy place to live. You say there's not peace in this world. Jesus acknowledged that. He says in this world you will have tribulation, but... Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's a strong statement, isn't it? I have overcome the world. This is the statement coming from the one who looked at the man who was sick. He couldn't walk. His friends had to bring him on the bed to Jesus. They couldn't get through the crowd because there were so many people. So the Bible tells us, they tore open a hole in the roof and they lowered him to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus looked at that man and he said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. That's power. And of course, the religious people in the audience, they looked at him and they said, Who can forgive sins but God? Who are you? How can you say forgive sins? And Jesus looked at those people, even though they didn't speak it with their lips, Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to them, which is it easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or rise, take up thy bed and walk? And we all know which would be easier, right? I mean, I could look at you this morning and say, your sins be forgiven thee. And, and that happens in churches sometimes, doesn't it? People who stand up in front of their congregation and say, your sins are forgiven. I don't have the power to do that because I'm not God. But Jesus proved that he had the power to do that because then he turned to that man who was lying there sick. He couldn't walk. He had never been able to get up. And he looked at that man and he said, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And the Bible says the man leapt to his feet and gathered up his belongings. And he ran from that place. What a wonderful, wonderful story. Because Jesus does have power to forgive sins. Jesus can say, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Folks, that's a message we need for today, isn't it? Look around this world. Some of you, maybe even this morning, you came to church and just the pressures of this world have you down. Maybe it's sickness, struggle, financial problems, family drama, things going on, job insecurity, whatever it is. You're concerned about the state of our world, our country. You're concerned about our leadership. A lot of things weighing you down. Be of good cheer. Say, why can Christians be happy all the time? 
Well, not all Christians are happy all the time, but they should be. They should be because we can be of good cheer. He's overcome the world. You say, well, you don't understand what I have. It's part of the world, isn't it? Well, I got this problem. That, that's included in the world, okay? Well, but my boss, yeah, he's part of the world too, okay? My house payment, my struggle, my this, my that. Put the Lord first, be of good cheer. He's overcome all of that. And sure, you may be bearing something that I'm not. It may be very difficult. I know people and I say, I have no idea how they go through the things that they go through. They do it with joy if they rely on the Lord. And I've seen people go through the death of loved ones. I've seen people go through awful, awful physical difficulties and pain and struggle, financial issues. People seem to lose it all. How do they do it? With joy. Well, they do it with the Lord. There's a lot of people in this world looking to all kinds of things to help them through stuff. They turn to their family, their friends. They turn to drugs or alcohol. They turn to whatever it is to try to give them a boost and get through. Folks, we have much more than a boost available to us. We have the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of it all, the redeemer, the sustainer, the head of the church, the great reconciler. Jesus brings peace during struggle. Say, how can I have that peace? Well, Philippians 4 says very simply, verses 6 and 7, be careful for nothing. In other words, don't walk around always worried and beat down and struggle. Say, well, how do I do that? Here's how you do it. He says, don't worry. Be careful for nothing. But here's what you should do. Instead, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Don't forget that part. Let your requests be made known unto God. I was studying those words because he talks about prayer, supplication, and requests. And you say, why did he use three different words? Don't they all mean the same thing? Yes and no. There's a little different nuance to each word. A prayer is just me speaking to God, calling out to Him. And it's something we should do all the time. Supplication is the idea of me down on my knees begging God for something. God, please, would you give this to me? And then that word request has the idea of every little thing, each and every little request. Just like on Wednesday night when we have our prayer time and we pass out the prayer sheet and there's lots and lots and lots of prayer requests and lots of needs. And you say, does God really care about all these things? Jesus said, shall not a sparrow fall? And my father doesn't know it. He said, Does, doesn't he know how many hairs are on your head? He cares about all of it. Let your requests be made known unto God. So you're struggling this morning. You say, I believed in Jesus. I'm at peace with God. I know my sins are forgiven, but I'm still struggling. I don't have peace. Take it to the Lord in prayer. See, I can't pray about it. Talk to Him. Write out your list. I've had to do that before. Just write out my prayer. Start writing, God, this is a struggle. This is a struggle. Make your list and start praying it to God. God, help me with this. God, I don't know what to do with this. God, provide for this. I'm not sure what to do about that. The Lord knows, and He wants to hear from you. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then verse 7. Here's the positive and the peace of God, 
which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There it is. The peace that Jesus brings. It's peace with God. Peace in the sense that my sins are forgiven. I've been reconciled. I can stand before God and not be afraid because my sins are forgiven. That's peace with God. I'm no longer His enemy. I'm now His child. That's peace. And then when I face the struggles and difficulties and pain of this life, I can take everything to Him in prayer. And He promises to give me that peace, that contentment that fulfillment in my heart. And no one else may even understand. They're like, how can you go through that and still not be struggling? Well, I'm, in, I'm struggling. It's hard. I don't know what to do. But I'm at peace because I know who's in control. I love what the song says. I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't worry or the future or the skies that Turn to gray. And then it finishes off by saying, I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. Do you know the one that holds tomorrow? I do. And it's not me. <laughs> it's not my wife. It's not my parents. It's the Lord. And because I'm at peace with him, I know he holds my hand. So just like a child who doesn't know what they're doing or where they're going or what's going on in their life, they can just hold on to mommy or daddy's hand. They can get right where they need to go. They're safe, protected, provided for. God can do that for us. He brings peace through struggle. But let me share with you a couple more things about peace this morning. Because these are wonderful things that God brings. He brings peace to us through Jesus Christ who came to this earth. But you know, this peace through Jesus requires that each person make a choice. Each person make a choice regarding Him. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I want to go back to Matthew chapter 10. And I want you to read with me some of the words of Jesus. These are words that He spoke with his own mouth when it comes to peace. Because this is not what the people expected to hear when Jesus spoke about peace. And I think today, maybe some of you will see this passage of Scripture and say, wait a minute, I didn't know Jesus ever said that. Because the reality is this, in order to have peace with Jesus, you must make a choice regarding Him. You can't have peace with God just by ignoring Him. You can't have peace with God just by acting like, well, I'll worry about that later. This doesn't matter to me right now. This is what Jesus said himself, Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 34. Some of you may need to underline this and come back and think about this this afternoon because we don't have time to go into every little detail of this passage, but I hope you get the overarching idea here. Jesus said this, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. Whoa. Angels said, Jesus, bring peace on earth. Jesus says, uh-uh. Don't think that I came to bring peace on earth. He says, I came not to send peace, but a sword. Say, wait a minute. I thought Jesus loved the little children. He loves everybody. He does. 
Let me help you understand. Keep reading with me. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You say, well, the mother-in-law part, that's simple. But the rest of that, I mean, he's really turning mothers against daughters and sons against fathers? What's he doing? Keep reading. Remember, the Bible's always true. We may have to figure out what it's saying and understand it from other scripture, but we don't have to question whether or not this is right. We just need to be able to understand what it's saying. He says, verse 36, And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus sometimes spoke in this manner. Some people would call it a paradox. How can you find your life and lose it and lose it to find it? How can you hate your mother and father and your children? What's he talking about here? He's trying to help them understand a bigger picture here. Think about this. If this morning when we came to church, and instead of having a regular church service, we were having a wedding up here. We had the bride and the groom, and I was officiating the wedding, as I get to do for my sister next month. I'm standing here to perform this wedding, and the bride and groom are standing here, and we begin to do the vows. I say, do you, to the bride, take this man to be your husband, to have and to hold, to love and to cherish, sickness, health, all that, to honor from this day forward, as long as you both shall live? And she says, well, yes, mostly, but I'd like to keep two or three other boyfriends. Is that okay? You'd say, this wedding is a sham. What are we doing here? If we looked at the groom and said, do you take this woman to be your wife, to love and to cherish, sickness, health, you know, honor, all those things, whatever, whatever we say here. I normally read it. I don't have it all memorized exactly. And, and he says, well, yeah, I'll, I'll, oh, in the part, and all your worldly goods, thee and down. He says, yeah. But you know what? I'm going to keep a little bit over here of myself. I mean, this is my truck, and these are my guns. And she does not have any claim on those things. Those are mine. And all the men would probably say, just wait, just wait, son. That, you, you can work all that out later, but right now you've got to say yes. You've got to agree to that. <laughs> now, we would say this isn't much of a marriage, is it? Because when you have a wedding, you expect and you hope that both the bride and the groom are coming to one another and saying, you're mine and I'm yours, and that's it. There's nobody else. There's nothing else. In a sense, the bride and the groom are coming to one another and saying, I don't care about anybody else. I just care about you. Now, did they never speak to their mother and father again? Hopefully not. But in a sense, they are so committed to one another that nobody else matters. And that's what God wants from us. That, 
this relationship with Him, in order to have peace with Him, He's saying, to have peace with me, there's got to be nobody else. You can't come to God and say, yes, God, I'm giving you my life, but let me hang on to these things over here, because I like this stuff. It makes me feel good. I mean, sometimes I might get tired of you, God, and I want to go back and do my own thing. He'd say, that's not a very good relationship. Just like it wouldn't be a very good relationship in a marriage to behave like that, it's not a good relationship with God to behave like that. And in fact, you know, the Bible teaches us in Ephesians chapter 5 that the marriage relationship between a man and a woman is actually a picture of the relationship that God has with us, of Christ and His church, that Jesus gave Himself for us. See, I want you to think about this, though. Jesus is not asking you to do anything for Him that He has not first done for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, you could read these words in Matthew chapter 10 and say, but that's not fair. God, you're asking too much of me. God's saying, no, if you want to have peace with me, it's got to be an exclusive relationship. You and me, there's not room for other people in this. You've got to put me first. Colossians 1 said it this way, that in all things he might have the preeminence. That means first place. It's totally right. It's totally fair because that's what Jesus gave for us. That's what God gave for us. He gave his only begotten son. So just as in a marriage relationship, when a husband and wife come together, both expect the other to be saying, I'm all in. Right? I'm not keeping one foot over here with my other past relationships. I'm all in with this relationship with you. So God expects that of us. And that's what I would say about peace. In order to have peace with God, it requires that each and every one of us make a choice. What we're going to do with Jesus. See, Jesus said, I, I didn't come to bring peace. I brought a sword. You say, what does he mean? In other words, Jesus is saying there, there's some division that's going to happen. Some people are going to have to decide, you're either with me or you're not. A lot of people try to straddle the fence. That's why Jesus says, I brought a sword. You can't straddle a sword very well. It's going to slice you, right? You can't go halfway with God and truly be with Him and at peace with God. It's all or nothing. And so many people try to ride this fence, and they go back and forth, and it never works out. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ this morning, know that you are at peace with Him in the sense that it's forever settled. God wrote that agreement down, and he, it, you're written down in the book of life, and nobody can ever take you out of that. No one can ever pluck you out of God's hand. But if you're struggling in your heart with your relationship with God this morning, perhaps it's because... You're not truly at peace with Him because you haven't really made your choice. You're still trying to ride the fence. In order to have peace, it requires that you make a choice regarding Jesus. Then finally, this morning, as we think about the peace that Jesus brings, not only does He bring peace in our hearts as we are forgiven from our sin and we are reconciled to God. Not only does He bring peace through the struggles of life and the circumstances that we face, that peace does require choice from us. And finally, we'll see this morning that one day Jesus is coming back to bring that universal 
peace. You know, this promise of Jesus bringing peace was not, the first time it was made was not in Luke chapter 2. You have to go back to the Old Testament to find that. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is one of the major prophets, and we call him a prophet because God told him things to write down, and a number of the things he wrote down hadn't happened yet. And he was saying, these things are going to come to pass. They haven't yet. It was Isaiah who prophesied that Jesus would be born of a virgin. And it was also Isaiah who prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, here it is, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice, from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And then you see there at the beginning of verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Well, one way we know this is true in that salvation for us, when, our peace, when God gives us peace, He's forgiven us of our sin and we trust in Jesus Christ, there's going to be no end to that peace. But also one day the Bible teaches us that there will be the sound of a trumpet and a shout and the heavens will part and the Lord will descend and He'll take His own back to be with Him for eternity. There will be a period of tribulation here on this world as there is many, struggle, many struggles and difficulties that will happen here. Many people will die. There will be all kinds of problems. Those believers, though, will be with the Lord in heaven. Standing before the Lord, giving an account of how they've lived their life, and God will be rewarding His children for their faithfulness to Him. And after this period of time, then... Jesus Christ will descend from heaven with the armies of heaven following Him and He will once and for all defeat all the wickedness in this world. The Bible teaches us that He'll send, set up His kingdom then here on this earth and He'll rule and reign for a thousand years. There will be peace on earth. Universal peace. Right now, Jesus came and He fulfilled exactly what the angels said He would do. He brought peace on earth, but He began by peace in my heart, in your heart, and peace in the hearts of those who believe in Jesus Christ. In order to have peace with Jesus, you must make a choice about it this morning. There will come a day when there will be universal peace. And the Bible says it this way, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the question for each of us this morning is this. Are you at peace with God now? If you're not, I'd love to show you how you can make peace with God. He's already done all that's necessary to make peace with you. You just have to receive the gift. 
And if you've not made peace with God, understand this. There will come a day where you will be at peace with God. But it will come through judgment upon you. And Jesus Christ died in our place so we wouldn't have to face that judgment. That we could be at peace with God. That Jesus took God's judgment, God's punishment for us so that we didn't have to take it. That's the wonderful message of Jesus Christ and the gift of peace. If you're here this morning and you don't have that gift, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, would you receive that gift today? Don't let anything hold you back from that because there's nothing more important than knowing that you are at peace with God. If you're here this morning and you have been forgiven, you know that you've received that gift, but you're not living at peace with God. Maybe it's the struggles of life and the temptations around you and the difficulties that have you pressed down. Maybe it's what you're looking around and you're saying, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this week. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Everything. Every little thing. And give thanks to God. Because even in your trouble, even in your difficulty, God is still at work. He still has a plan. You can be at peace with God. The gift of peace. Let's stand for prayer as we finish the service this morning. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts this morning. Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that's not truly at peace with you, I pray that they would come to you today, trust you for forgiveness of their sins. You've said in your word, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, I pray that they would trust in you today. Lord, for those who do know you as their Savior, who are struggling with things in their life, struggling with the lack of peace in this world or in their heart or in their home at work, I pray that they would take those things to you in prayer. To spend time communicating with you and listening as you communicate with them through your word, through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for the gift of peace. Thank you that Jesus came some 2,000 years ago or so to bring this peace to the world. This peace that was unable to be had because of the sin that was in this world, but Jesus overcame all of that. He died in our place, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.